was great to fellowship with you all through songs and praise. And we now approach the Word of God, and this is an important part of our service, important part of worship, because we grow as a result of approaching the Word of God. Uh, we do realize that our worship of God does not consist of us just expressing our heart to Him, but also consists of us listening to what He has to say to us. And we're approaching 1 Corinthians chapter 14 today, and this perhaps is, I would consider, the most difficult passage of all Scripture. And so you are arriving here this morning in fellowship with us, and you're just thinking, what in the world am I stepping into? Well, you will soon find out. This is on the controversial gift of tongues, and, uh, and we must discuss it because it is in Scripture. And I'm sure that today, this morning, I hope, and I, I do know that we will be edified as a result of this discussion. Uh, we're going to be going through first 1 through 19, and even though there are many verses and we have to read through them all, uh, what I want to encourage you with is this, which is that the principle behind these passages or this verse or these verses is actually pretty simple. Namely, we're to be clear. And there must be clear communication, clear understanding within the body of Christ. Uh, if you wonder what that means, let's read this together and we'll find that out. It says this in verse 1 and starting to verse, uh, and going to verse 19. We see this. Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now, I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? If even lifeless instruments such as flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? And if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will anyone get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and the speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit, but I will sing praise with my mind also. Otherwise, if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Very, very interesting. We're going to dive into it. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray for your grace this morning as we dive into this very interesting, yet I believe when we do know what Paul is saying, very simplistic message, 
which is that we need to be clear in our communication within the church in order to edify the body of Christ. We know, Lord, that you have us here for the sake of edification. None of us are living on an island alone by ourselves. We're here to, to see one another grow in the Lord. That is why church occurs. That's why church happens. We pray that we would strive to that end to see one another grow in the Lord in our instruction and encouragement for one another in our spiritual gifts. We thank you, God, for your grace, and teach us, Lord, from what you will have to uh, teach us this morning in this text. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What does it feel like to be in a place where you do not know what anyone is saying around you? This would be what you would be in if you were in a foreign country. Uh, my wife and I, we traveled to Italy in our fifth wedding anniversary, and this was five years ago. We are actually approaching our 10th anniversary now. And it was a wonderful journey for us to go to because Italy was a wonderful country to visit. It's a lot of statues and a lot of uh, uh, different kinds of uh, churches and different uh, uh, buildings that were magnificent for us to visit, and we loved our visit over there. But not just us. There were also many other people who were there, people from different countries. Italy actually happens to be the most, one of the most visited places from people all over the world. There are people from China, people from Spain, people from France, people from Eastern European countries, people from Africa, people from different countries visiting Italy because Italy is a well-known tourist spot. Actually, the very act of tourism itself is touristy in itself. I've never seen so many different kinds of people there. And the interesting thing about Italy is that for all the visiting groups are there or tourist groups are there, generally they're categorized by the language which it is of. So you have the Chinese-speaking people, and generally they'll be Chinese. They will be speaking in Chinese, and they will be part of one group. And you will have people who speak Spanish, and they'll be part of one group. And we have people who speak French, they'll be part of one group, or people who speak any other different language, they'll be a part of one group. And there's good reason for this. And reason is because people want to understand and be understood, right? You don't want to be part of a group where you have no idea what people are saying and people are looking at you and speaking to you and you have no idea what they're saying and what you're saying to them, they have no idea what you're saying. That would be kind of a bad position for you to be in. So if you go to a foreign country, you would like to be with people who you can understand so that you can feel safe and secure and you can actually relate to the people who you're speaking to. This is how relationships are built. We need to understand whatever is being communicated. That is the relationship of the body of Christ. That is the relationship of God and us. In the very beginning, when God created the world and then created us, he did not just create us so that we could just somehow guess what he's saying. He's not a passive-aggressive God in which he says, well, I've done that for you, and I've done this for you, and you should have figured it out that this is what I wanted. That's not God. That's us, but that's not God. What God is, is that he actually communicates to us clearly what he wants us to know and what he wants us to obey. We see his clear communication to us in Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 to 17, in which he said, this as one of the first command to his creation that is to us, you may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day you eat of it you shall surely die. It's a clear communication. It really communicates to us a couple of things about our relationship with God, namely God is God and we're not. He is the one to tell us what to do in life because he created us. 
And second communication is this. We do not obey God. There are certain consequences to it. There's sin. There's death that comes as a result of sin. And this is exactly what we experience today in our world, which we see sin and we see death. We see decay. We see humanity destroying one another. This is not how God created the world, and yet it is the way the world is today because we brought sin into the world. God has warned us about it. He's been clear about it. His communication has not been lacking. If we heard, we sure surely know, but we didn't because we had dull years. However, the fact that we had dull years does not mean that God has stopped communicating. God has continued to communicate. Now, He communicates His holiness, but He also communicates to us His love, which is through the Son, Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is the perfect representation of who God is. He is God. But in his person, as a second person of the Trinity, he also takes the responsibility of representing God, expressing God for who he is. We know who God is. We know who the Father is through the Son, Jesus Christ. He is the Word of God. John chapter 1, verse 1 says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is the Word of God. We know the Father through the Son. You've seen the Son You've seen the Father, as Jesus said to Philip in the upper room discourse. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 through 2, we also see this. In the Son communicating who God is, it says this, Long ago and many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom He also created the world. So we have the Son here who is communicating the will of the Father, the words of the Father to us, namely His love for us. He Himself lived out that life in communicating the gospel to us. Jesus lived a perfect life, and His perfect life, He gave that to us. And He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, I came to fulfill the law, the righteous law which you cannot fulfill. He fulfilled it for us so that we may be perfect before God. And then he died on the cross. When he died on the cross, he was actually dying and paying for the penalty of our sins. He was suffering the wrath of God on the cross as this clearly displayed in the gospel message. And he rose again from the dead to show us that he has prepared a room for us in heaven. This is what he said to the disciples in the upper room discourse, letting them know that when he rose from the dead, he's going there ahead of them to prepare a room for them in which we will also be with them forever. This is the salvation story. In every aspect of salvation story, we're called to believe in Jesus Christ and who He is, the facts about Him. We're to believe that He is the Lord, He is the Savior, He is the Messiah, and we're to submit our lives to Him. Salvation is not just emotionalism. Now, there are emotions involved in salvation, surely, because we're made as human beings with emotion. We're to feel deeply about God. But ultimately, you're saved because you choose to believe in truth about Jesus. That is the foundation of our salvation. We choose to believe in God, and by our faith in Him, in the facts about God, in the facts about Christ, we are saved. In this very sense, we see how the church is to be upbuilt. You see, as God has clearly made himself clear to us in discipling us and even growing us in the Lord, calling us to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the facts about him. We're also to have clear communication with one another, clear communication in which we can understand one another and be encouraged by one another to follow Jesus. This is the element of all of our spiritual gifts added together. We're to 
have that kind of communication in which we're encouraged by another in Christ to grow in the Lord. That is the purpose of spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts is not emotionalism. It's not just to feel good about ourselves as we practice it. Spiritual gifts ultimately are there to serve so that we may grow in the knowledge and grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Knowledge and understanding. And this is all the spiritual gifts, including the very controversial one, which we're going to talk about here today, the spiritual gift of tongues. Now, tongues is a spiritual gift that needed to be discussed because in and of itself, it is not clear. It is a foreign language. If you speak it without interpretation, nobody knows what you're saying. That is what the verse is saying. So therefore, in order for it to be clear, it needs to go through a certain process so the church can understand it, namely the process of interpretation. And if there is no interpretation, we're going to see what Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the person actually should not speak it within the church. Within the church, Paul actually says that he would rather speak five words of intelligence or five words of of, of uh, uh, understandable, rather, understandable language than 10,000 words in tongues. We're going to see how this is split up, but we're going to see two categories that define the principle of tongues and how it is to be practiced within the church. First, what we see here is this. Tongues has its limitations. The gift of tongues has its limitations. We see this in verse 1 through 5. It says this, Pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who speaks in tongue or in a tongue builds up himself, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Now I want you to all speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy, the one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues unless someone interprets, so that the church may be built up. Now, as we come to this passage, it's very clear what Paul's intent is. His Paul's intent isn't to debate on this gift. Paul's intent is to encourage the Corinthian church to build itself up. That is really the message of 1 Corinthians. The church has not been building itself up in the right way, it's been unhealthy in so many ways. People have been comparing themselves to another person. They want to be the head. They want to be the hand. They want to be the eyes. They want to be all the gifts which other people see so that they can honor themselves, exalt themselves, instead of honoring God and exalting God and let their service be a benefit to others. So in many ways, the way which they've been practicing their spiritual gifts has been in a way that's unhealthy. Namely, they have been edifying themselves only or exalting themselves or helping themselves feel prideful about who they are instead of doing it for the glory of God. So as a result of it, it has been many jealousy and, and, and envy that's happening within the church. We see this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, where Paul rebukes them, saying that you're still of the flesh. For while there's jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? There's fighting, jealousy, envying, because people are seeking to elevate themselves rather than elevating God and they are seeking to honor themselves and build themselves up instead of building up the church of God. Therefore, to teach the Corinthian church to be a healthy church, Paul begins to teach them regarding the nature of spiritual gifts. The nature of all spiritual gifts, including the spiritual gift of tongues, is to build up the church. That is it. So many people say, I use the spiritual gift of tongues to edify myself. That is not the primary gift, primary usage. 
that every, every single spiritual gift that God has given to the church is for the edification of another person. That is the primary goal. Now, secondary, you could say edifies you because you have edified another person. You yourself feel edified as a result of that. But we saw in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, God has given spiritual gifts for the common good. This is seen in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4 through 7, in which he says, There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are a variety of services, but the same Lord. There are a variety of activities, but the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for what? The common good. It's not for your own good. It's not just for your self-edification, but it's for the good of everyone around you. So that includes prophecy, tongues, whatever spiritual gift that you have, ministration in miracles, which we see here in the First Corinthian church setting. There are many, many things that Church Corinthian was, uh, was uh, practicing, and we could say that we might practice some of them or practicing uh, uh, other ones which are seen in the book of Romans, which are a uh, gift of giving, a gift of exhortation, a gift of leadership, various gifts which God's given to the church. All of them are given for the purpose of edifying another person within the church of God. So there's humility in this, knowing that the gift that's given to you is not for you, but for another person. Another aspect or another motivation of service is given to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul says, not only should you understand humility in your service, you should also understand love. Love. Love needs to be a motivation of your service because you may not be given all the spiritual gifts. Right? God has said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. We're empowered by the one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as He wills. He apportions to each one of us as He wills. Not all of us speaking tongues, not all of us prophesy, not all of us do all kinds of things, not all of us do administration, not all of us preach, not all of us teach. And He said this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. But each one of us, even though we may not have all the spiritual gifts, what we're to have is love. We need to have the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 to 23 says this, that we need to pursue the spiritual love or spiritual fruit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love is the all-encompassing fruit, which includes all of these other fruit in the Spirit. So we need to have love. We spent seven sermons on love last few weeks. Love is what motivates us in our service to one another. So in a sense, he comes to verse 1 of chapter 14, and he put a cap or summary to what, what he said in verse 1. He said, pursue love. Pursue love. Yes, that is your motivation. Pursue love and yet earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. Do serve. Do pour yourself out in the way which you've been given, but do it in love. Now, with that, he's diving into a very controversial spiritual gift, the spiritual gift of tongues. To introduce that, and the reason why he does introduce it is because the Corinthian church has been misusing it. And the reason why they have been misusing it is the reason why churches today have been misusing it as well. There's lots of confusion, lots of distraction, and when it's not used rightly, it actually does damage to the body of Christ instead of being helpful. It's actually distracting to the body of Christ instead of encouraging so he says in verse 2, and he introduces it, he wants the Corinthian church to speak in tongues. He's not forbidding them. He says, I'm not going to forbid you to do so, but I want you to be careful because if you don't do it rightly, you are actually hurting the body of Christ. 
It says in verse 2, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, for he utters mysteries in the Spirit. So what is tongues? Tongues, basically what it's saying here is something that people do not understand readily. It is a foreign language, and it does not actually come from the person himself because it's a miracle. The person hasn't learned the language, but through this miracle of spiritual gift, the person is able to speak in a language that he has not learned prior. It's an actual language with actual meaning. It's not just voice and noise coming out of your mouth, which you are just thinking that God is speaking to you. It's actual language that has actual meaning, whether it be human or angelic. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, where people actually understood the very languages or tongues spoken by the apostles. It says this, as apostles were speaking in tongues in the very day of Pentecost, people were saying, how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So these people are coming to Jerusalem and they're witnessing something rather miraculous, which is that apostles are speaking in their own native language, knowing that apostles actually do not speak that language to begin with. So this has to be a miracle of God. And by witnessing this miracle of God, they are saying that God actually is at work. Jesus, therefore, is the Messiah. What Peter preached is actually true. And we should actually stay in Jerusalem and help build up this church in Jerusalem. That's what happened uh, in terms of how the Jerusalem church was built up. People stayed, and the church grew. 3,000 people got saved at that one time. This was a miracle of God. However, there's certain limitations to this. The reason why there's limitation to this is because when you are gathered in as a church and someone speaks in a tongue, and now everyone is bought into the gospel message, and there's no need actually to prove that Jesus is the Lord because you actually believe now you're speaking in tongues. It happens that not everybody in the church can understand what the person is saying. Now, some people may, but other people may not. So what ends up happening is that it's not readily understandable. It needs a process to happen in order for it to be readily understandable by, every, by everybody in the church. And that process needs to happen. And because that process needs to happen, what Paul is saying here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that it takes a second place to anything else that's clearly communicated. Tongues actually must take a second place. It is a lesser gift compared to a gift that is clearly communicated within Scripture. And so to illustrate this point, he's actually comparing tongues to another gift, which is of clear communication, namely the gift of prophecy. We see this in verse 2 to 3. He says this, For one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God, for no one understands him, but he utters mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, this here comparison, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. So here's the comparison. The comparison is tongues is not readily understood, right? If no one understands it, I'm not saying that it's not understandable. I'm not saying that it's not a real language. It should be a real language. But if no one understands and there are no interpreters and there are no people gifted with the gift of interpretation at that moment, the only person that understands this person is who? God, right? You know, he speaks not to men, but to God. Only God understands. But the problem is that when you are in the church, people should understand you to be encouraged, to be edified, to be consoled. 
So what happens? Well, Paul says, well, this is compared to prophecy. Prophecy actually readily consoles you, readily encourages you, readily upbuilds you because it's in a language that you can readily understand and actually takes precedence to tongues. So what is prophecy? We talked about prophecy several times, and I will review it again today. Prophecy basically is clear communication of God's Word. That's what it is. It's not actually teaching. It's actually prophesying, meaning that God actually is telling you what you need to say so that you say it to the people for the sake of their spiritual growth in, in God. So God says, I want you to say this, and you say it. That's what prophecy is. We see this in Jeremiah's experience in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 7, in which he was a little bit shy regarding being a prophet for the Lord. But the Lord said to Jeremiah, Do not say, I'm only a youth. For to all whom I send you to, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. So God says to Jeremiah, this is what prophecy is. I'm going to commend you what you should speak, and you go ahead and you say it. If you do so, you're a faithful prophet. And, and what I want you to say is to say in a language they can understand. And that's what Jeremiah did. He spoke in Hebrew. He spoke in, uh, in the language of his days. And therefore, the people understood him correctly and, and, uh, and, and accurately. And when we come to the New Testament, we see Peter affirming this past, uh, this uh, process of prophecy. He says this in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 21, For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of men, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's actually not coming from men. It's not the words of men, but it's the words of God himself as God has instilled within men to speak those words. So we see here that prophecy is readily understood. Tongues, however, is not, unless what we see here also in verse 5, that it is interpreted. Then it will serve the purpose of prophecy. But because it takes that process, and those who are in the church may not be ones who had the gift of interpretation, tongues oftentimes should take a back seat because of the fact that it is not readily understood. And this is the second Actually, first reason why tongues would take a backseat to prophecy. Second reason, which we see here, tongues do take a backseat to prophecy is this. Prophecy readily upbuilds and tongues do not. And really for the same reason as we see, saw in verse 2 to 3, because people do not readily understand it. In verse 3 to verse 4, it says this. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. But the one who speaks in the tongue builds up himself. But the one who prophesies builds up the church. So here you have a comparison again. What builds up what? The one who speaks in the tongue, unless it's interpreted, only builds up the speaker. And this would be an understanding or admittance to those who are tongue speakers in our days as well. They say, well, what a wonderful feeling to speak in tongues. They have no idea what they're saying, but they just felt like it's a wonderful feeling. Great, you're building up yourself. But I want to let you know and want everyone to know that that is not the primary reason why God gave the gift of tongues. The reason why is because of this. All spiritual gifts are given to the church for the sake of what? Edifying another person. And because tongues require interpretation to edify, it really has to take a back seat given that interpretation oftentimes is not always available and oftentimes is not always ready. And so therefore, it has to take a back seat. But the one who prophesies, they could just immediately build up, encourage for the sake 
of the people's spiritual growth. Now, in verse 5, Paul says, even though I'm telling you tongues do take a back seat because of the process, because it's hard sometimes to get people to understand, and, and sometimes within the body of Christ, it doesn't readily build and readily uh, cause people to understand. I'm not saying that you should not speak in tongues. He's not saying that he's forbidding in tongues. In verse 5, he says, you know what? This is a spiritual gift given by God, so it's not like we should look at it with cynicism, or should look at it as, it's a, as a gift that actually hurts the body of Christ. It is not, because if it is, then God certainly wouldn't have given it. So he said in verse 5, I want you to all speak in tongues. Sure, go ahead, speak it if you can. Now we know that not everyone's speaking tongues according to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, because his spiritual gifts are given by God according to his will, but God, or Paul says here, that you know what, I want to show you that I'm not against it. I'm not against it. I want you all speaking tongues. But I want you to know that the process of the church or the edification of the church must be a priority. The process must be for the edification of the church. So I want you to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one, he says in verse 5, who speaks in tongues. Because why? Because again, it readily edifies and readily can be understood. And as someone interprets, he says, then the church can be built up. So the key is interpretation. So what is the principle here? Clarity, edifying, edification, building up, consolation of the body of Christ. It's not to debate whether this gift exists or not. Rather, Paul's intent is to make sure that whatever is happening in the church, people are being built up. I remember a friend of me telling me a particular story, and this could have been happening in his church. But it really is a, a wonderful story, and it, some of it could be taken as a, 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 we could chuckle a little bit at the story, but it really is a wonderful story for us to realize how important it was to understand this principle. It was a pastor who was preaching at a particular church, and he was preaching his heart out, but this man comes into the church, and in the middle of the sermon, he began to stand up and shout aloud words of tongues. So the pastor is taken aback, and he's thinking, you know, uh, I don't know what to do. I mean, this is what I would do, but I just stop, right? I mean, you can't have two people speaking at the same time. So this person is in the pews, and he's shouting in tongues or speaking in tongues, and after he's done, he sits back down, and the pastor says, well, that was an interesting encounter. So he continued on his sermon, and he finished his sermon. And the next week came about, the person comes in, comes in and does the same thing and begins to speak in tongues in the middle of a pastor's sermon. The pastor stops and, well, he happened again. He's in shock. He didn't know what to do, but he allowed this person to finish speaking and uh, a person did. And the pastor says, well, you know what? Uh, I'm going to now finish my sermon. So he finished the sermon. And the third week came, this person comes in and in the middle of the sermon, he begins to speak in tongues again. The pastor stopped. Now, by this time, the pastor's a little ready. He's saying, you know what, I, I'm ready for this because I studied through 1 Corinthians chapter 14, so I realized that I should ask for interpretation. So after this person finished, the pastor said to the congregation, does anyone have interpretation? Well, it turns out that nobody does. So he was quiet for about a minute until someone raised their hand. He said, well, I have interpretation. Oh, so the pastor's relieved. He says, well, uh, yes, sir, what, what is interpretation? He stood up and said, Look at me, look at me, I'm speaking in tongues. <laughs> That's the interpretation. But it's, it's kind of funny, it's, it's a joke in some way, we could chuckle a little, about, a, a little bit about it, but it really is the truth. Nobody understands you and nobody cares and at the point because they don't understand you, and yet the only person that edifies is yourself and everybody is looking at you as if you are some kind of a person who is not caring for the body of Christ. So what is to be done? Paul says this, 
It says in the church of God, everything needs to be communicated clearly. He would rather speak five words with clear language than 10 million, 10,000 words in tongues. In fact, we see this as his core ministry is communication. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 through 10, we see he clearly communicates the gospel. He says this, From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. That is the purpose of the church. It's not just that we will feel emotions. We will feel like, oh, that person is doing uh, some kind of miracle, and we somehow just get behind that. No, we need to understand what is the purpose of it and what is communicated as a result of it. Some people speaking in tongues, we don't just celebrate that. We have to say, what are you saying? Is there interpretation? Because in Paul's understanding, in Paul's ministry, he wants people to grow in spiritual wisdom. He wants people to grow in spiritual understanding. He wants people to grow in knowledge of God because that's how we actually grow. We don't grow just being, by being excited. We don't grow just by being shouting out loud things we don't understand. We grow by understanding facts and truth about God and applying that to our lives in a real and physical way. So in that sense, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 26, I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating in the air. I'm not just taken aside and, and just going with my emotions and whims of what I feel. I actually have a purpose in what I do, and the purpose is clear communication. So we see here the limitation of the gift of tongues, namely that but it by itself by itself, not that it cannot be, but by itself, without interpretation, it is not clearly understood. Now, there are some things that we need to know because God has given the gift of tongues to the church. And so we're not looking that, at that and say, well, that's not God's gift to the church. It is. And so if God's given to the church, and then certainly there's a reason why and how he wants us to use it or how he wants this church in church of Corinth to use it. We see the encouragement from the gift of tongues and by encouragement, we have to first study the nature of it in verse 6 through 19. Let's read through this together. It says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even if lifeless instruments such as flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? If the bugle gives an indistinct sound, how will it get ready for or anyone get ready for battle? So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is said? For you'll be speaking into air. There are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without meaning. But if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker and a speaker a foreigner to me. So with yourselves, since you are eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Therefore, one who speaks in a tongue shall pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What am I to do? I will pray with my spirit. I will pray with my mind also. I will sing with my spirit. I will sing with my mind also. Otherwise, if, you give, if, I, or if you give thanks with your spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? For you may be giving thanks well enough but the other person is not being built up. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. 
Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Now, there's a lot here, but let's break it down. First of all, Paul says, you need to understand the nature of tongues and how we can actually use it for the glory of God in edification of the body of Christ. He begins in verse 6 and saying, if I come to you in speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring to you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He says, if I come speaking in your tongues, but if it's not interpreted, if it's not interpreted, basically it's just really a foreign language to you. It's not edifying to you. So therefore, it's not of use to you. The only useful thing to you is if I will bring you some kind of revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching. And certainly tongues can be that if it is interpreted. But the fact that it's not interpreted, then it should not be said within the church. Now, to understand this, this is not something the Corinthian church understood. It's not something which we all understand. Is that tongues actually carry meaning. They are. It's not just noise. It's not just you speaking really fast as some Pentecostal circles would say, well, just talk really, really fast and eventually you're speaking tongues. That is not tongues. That is not what it is. Because that is, it carries no meaning at all. It's just you speaking gibberish. What it is, is actual meaning because it's coming from God. If it can be interpreted, then you will have meaning unless it's fake. But if it's real, you will have meaning and it needs interpretation. To talk about or to tell that tongues actually have meaning, Paul gives two illustrations as to how this is true. He gives the illustration of music. He also gives the illustration of languages. First, illustration of the music. He says in verse 7, Even if lifeless instruments such as flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is being played? It's true. Music has meaning. I cannot just say I play the guitar and I just go up to the guitar and just start strumming it, but I don't hold any chords. That would be ridiculous. After a while, you just say, Richard, can you stop playing that? I mean, it would be ridiculous to you, right, if the worship team comes up and Paul just banging on the piano like this. You would say, that is not music. That actually is of noise. We'll tell them, can you, can you stop? Can you not play that? Because why? Because every single instrument has to give distinct notes in order to be meaningful, whether it be flute or harp or piano or any other instrument. He says also, as the bugle is concerned, and bugle is basically a trumpet, which is something that's used in the military, and the bugle has to give distinct sound in order to instruct the soldiers. So he says, in verse 8, if the bugle gives an indistinct sound, who will get ready for battle? If the soldiers cannot hear distinct sound from the bugle, how will they know to march forward, to go back, or to stay? They can't. So therefore, tongues also needed to be understood. If it's just like this all the time, whether it be real or be fake and people don't understand it, then it actually serves no purpose within the church of God. That's why he said in verse 9, So with yourselves, if with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, how will anyone know what is being said? You will only be speaking into air. This is exactly what so many people have fall short. They're just everybody speaking at the same time. And everybody's shouting aloud at the same time. Everybody's screaming from the top of the lungs at the same time. And everybody feels the Spirit of God is among them. Paul says, this is exactly what I'm telling you not to do. Don't do that. How would you feel if you're in a room? and you have five speakers playing five different songs at the same time. Would you enjoy that? Would you say, whoa, that's a wonderful song, that's a wonderful song, that's a wonderful song. Or would you say, let me just hear one song at a time and understand this one song and appreciate this one song one at a time. You would say, one, right? 
That's what Paul is saying. If you cannot understand it readily, then don't use it within the church. You're just speaking hot air into the church, and that is about it. You feel emotionalized by it. You feel passionate about it. But at the same time, that's just emotionalism. Paul is not into emotionalism. Not bad to have emotions, but emotions need to be accompanied by facts and truth which you believe in. That's the whole message of tongues is that you need to understand what is being said. And also, he gives the illustration of languages. He said in verse 10, there are doubtless many different languages in the world, and none is without. Now, if you do not understand the speaker, then you are a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to you. He says in verse 7, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker, and the speaker a foreigner to me. We should be foreigners to each other. And Paul says, within the church of God, you should not be foreigners to each other. You should actually be family with each other. You should actually understand the needs and the communication of one another within the church. So therefore, the need for tongues to be understood is of utmost essential. It's not just a euphoric feeling that things are happening or people shouting aloud, having lots of noise. No, it needs to be understood. That's what Paul is saying. So verse 12, he says, So with yourselves, since you're eager for the manifestation of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. We're eager, right? People are eager to see God at work, eager to see the manifestation of the Spirit. Now God is doing something here. And so they're producing this, manufacturing this. And Paul said, you don't have to manufacture this. You don't have to make it happen. Just do what God calls you to do. Build up the church. And if you build up the church, you are actually achieving the very end goal of that spiritual gift. So don't look at other people and say, oh, that's a miracle is happening. God says the greatest miracle is that you are building up the church, and that is it, through clear communication. That's why when we have a church together, we're clearly communicating the gospel. When people are clearly encouraging one another in the Lord with clear words, we don't have to be jealous of other churches. We don't have to say, well, we don't have that that other people has over there. We say that we are actually content in being who we are because we're actually doing exactly what God called us to do. So with that, Paul says, now realizing the nature of tongues, which is that it has actual meaning because it's the actual language, it can be interpreted. Paul says, now I want you to know the people who need to be encouraged by. First of all, there are two categories of people that need to be encouraged in the speaking of tongues. Number one category, yourself. Yourself need to be encouraged. Now, I'm not saying that you're encouraged because you're speaking in some kind of tongue you yourself don't understand and you're euphoric about it. It's like, oh, you know, we'll look at what's happening. That is not encouragement. Paul says in verse 13, he says this, and he says, therefore the one who speaks in a tongue shall pray that he may interpret. That's what he's saying. The one who speaks in a tongue oftentimes does not even understand what he is saying. He doesn't know what he's saying. He doesn't know what the meaning of what he's saying. And this will be testified by many tongue speakers. They don't know. So Paul says this, you should pray that you could understand. Okay? You should pray that you may interpret. That's another way of understanding. If you could interpret, that means that you understand what you're saying. Pray that you may understand. 
He continues on saying, if I pray in the tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So in the sense, I'm praying, I'm, words are coming out, I'm speaking in this thing, but I have no idea what I'm saying. My mind is unfruitful. So what is my conclusion or what is my next step? In verse 15, he says this, what am I to do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will pray with my mind also. I will sing praise with my spirit. I will sing praise with my mind also. He says this, he says, if I could pray with my spirit, I'm speaking these things, I want to be able to understand it so that I could pray with my mind as well. If I'm going to sing in tongue, I want to sing understanding what I just said so that I can sing with my mind as well. So the first person I need to be encouraged in the gift of tongues is yourself. Again, it's not a rhetoric feeling of, oh, I'm speaking tongues, but rather it's through a clear understanding of the content, what you just said. The second group of people that need to understand tongues in the practice of it within the church is those who you are speaking to, other people. We see this in verse 16. It says, Otherwise, if you give thanks with the Spirit, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he does not know what you are saying? See, what happened in the Corinthian church is what happened in our church today as well. People would gather, would go in a circle, and one person would pray. At the end of the prayers, all of us would say what? Amen, right? All of us say amen. By saying amen, we are making that person's prayer my prayer or our prayer say, I agree with that person. And Paul says that if you pray in the tongue and nobody understands you, how can you say amen? Except maybe just to be polite. So I went to Mexico and uh, there's a Mexican pastor and I, I kind of knew him. I kind of trusted the church that took me there and believed that they're preaching the gospel. So he preaches, preaches Spanish or praising Spanish. And then I say amen, not because I understood what he's saying, but because I'm trying to be polite, right? Or I'm trying to be one with the Spirit. But at some time after that, I want to know, right, if I'm going to be a part of the church, I would say, hey, I'm speaking, speaking amen to your words. What is it that he is saying? I want to know. Paul says, yeah, you cannot really say amen unless you really know the meaning of what the person is saying. So that means that you need to have clear understanding or somehow the tongue need to be interpreted. It says in verse 17, you may be giving thanks well enough, but the person is not being built up. The person may be giving thanks, but he's not being built up. So therefore, what we see later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 14 is that he is to keep silent if there's no interpretation. Now, Paul is not against tongues, again, as I'm not, not against it. But he says this in verse 18. He says, you know what? I want you to know how you are to practice it within the church, how it's to be encouraging. You need to be encouraging to yourself by understanding the elements or the understanding of the, 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 uh, the meaning of it yourself, you only be encouraged to other by letting other people understand the meaning of yourself. And here is how I practice it myself. It says in verse 18, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Nevertheless, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in your tongue. So Paul says, you know what? I'm not against it. I actually speak tongues more than all of you. And that's a, quite a mighty uh, de declaration because the Corinthian church spoke a lot of tongues. And Paul says, I speak more than all of you. And here's a caveat. He does not speak it in the church. Interesting. He says in verse 19, in church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. That's an interesting remark. So, so he says, in the church, I do not speak in tongues. In fact, I 
rarely speak in tongues. I would rather speak five words with my mind than 10,000 words in tongues. And yet, on the other hand, in verse 18, he's saying, I thank God for speaking in tongues more than all of you. So the question as raised is, where is Paul speaking those tongues at? Right? Where? If not within the church, where is he speaking at? He's saying, I speak more than all of you, and yet it's not within the church. So some people say, well, he's speaking in his private, private prayer language. So I would say, perhaps, perhaps that could be the case. You, Paul didn't forbid that and, and says that could be edifying to yourself as long as you understand it. However, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think, I think the nature of the spiritual gift, as Paul has been made very clear to us, is that it's to edify the church and upbuild the church. I believe that when Paul spoke in tongues, he was actually speaking as he or as the apostles did in Acts chapter 2. Namely, that when he spoke in tongues, he magnified God to those people who do not understand Paul in a language which Paul spoke. But Paul was able to speak in their language to glorify God. We see this in Acts chapter 2, verse 8 through 11, where as the apostles were speaking in tongues and people were saying, how is it that we hear each one of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belong to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. See, as a result of Peter speaking in tongues and apostles speaking in tongues, people came to believe because they saw the miracle of God. And so what Paul does here is this. He says, I don't speak in a church, and I don't think he primarily speaks as a prayer language because he likes to speak with his understanding, and he could have, but I believe what Paul is saying is this, that he actually lived out the miracle of tongues in his proclamation of glorious of God to the people who might not be able to understand them in their own, in Paul's language, so they need to understand Paul in their native language. And Paul was able to carry out that miracle so to bring people to the church. I think that's what it's saying. And I think that is a wonderful way to build up the church as well, if that is a spiritual gift to build up the church, because now the church comes together after having witnessed that miracle. And now after having witnessed that miracle, as the church comes together, Paul says, no longer do you need that miracle in constant display. Because, why? Because you could actually build up the church through a clear communication. If people can understand one another through a language they all understand, then use that language. That is why he says in verse 19, I'd rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. So therefore, what we see here is this. I'm not, and we're not saying tongues are bad. We're not saying that God can't use it. In fact, when people come to me and say, well, you know what, uh, I saw uh, an article that says that this person went to the jungles and, uh, and he began to spoke, speak in tongues and, and people began to understand him and now the people of the tribe begin to believe in God because of that miracle. Do you think that really happened? I would say, why not? Why not? Why not rejoice with the fact that people are believing God? Why not? Why be cynical about it? Why not, why not rejoice? If people are believing God and following God and praising God, and giving worship to God, that's something that we should rejoice in. We should be thankful. But at the same time, we have to be aware that the reason why Paul is fighting this battle is because tongues are being misused. In fact, there were many false tongues, even demonic tongues, which we saw in chapter 12, which are being practiced within the church, in which people are using it to say Jesus is accursed. 
Can Satan fill a person and cause another person to speak in demonic tongues? Sure, that is the case. And that's what's happening in the Corinthian church as well. And Paul didn't shut off the gift and say, well, you shouldn't use that gift because that is happening. Paul says you need to actually examine to make sure that it is used properly, that whatever is being said actually honors God. That's why he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3, this is the test. I want you to understand that no one speaking the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is the Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul is putting in a simplistic way. Of course, this is a call to test the Spirit. Check what they're saying. Understand the content of what they're saying. If you're allowing someone to come in here and just speak some kind of language or gibberish, fake or real, whatever it is, right, and it is not being tested, it's not being interpreted, there's no way that you can know if the person is saying Jesus is accursed or Jesus is the Lord. So therefore, that person fails to test and say, hey, we're not going to have that here because we don't understand the word you're saying. But if it's interpreted, understood, and people are saying, well, you know what? They ask, the person is saying Jesus is the Lord, and they say, okay, great. The body of Christ is encouraged. That's great. Now, submit to the leadership, you know, to the rest of the church. Thank you for your gift. This is exactly what John is teaching us also in 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, which John calls the church to examine and to test. He says this, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit to see whether they're from God, for many false prophets have gone into the world. So the church is to test. We're not to be cynical, but we're to be testing in terms of what comes through the church because we want what glorifies God and not what is dishonoring to God in the church. However way it is that we're serving the church, the principle of 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 11 applies, in which Peter exhorts us, saying, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. We must make sure that it all comes from God. Our service, our speaking, must glorify the Lord. So with that, we must understand the limitation, the encouragement, the nature of the spiritual gift of tongues to make sure that if it is practiced within the church setting, it is to be practiced for the edification of the body of Christ. Ultimately, what God wants us to know is this. We live and we do our works in the body of Christ for the sake of upbuilding the body of Christ. And that is it. That is the final goal. Aesop Fable has told us a particular story, which is a story of a dog with a bone in his mouth. And you might have heard that story. A dog has a bone in his mouth and he's running around and he finally saw a reflection of self in a mirror, uh, not a mirror, in a river. And it bends down, saw the reflection of self and saw the bone, which is in another dog's mouth, but it really is itself, dropped the bone to grab the bone in the reflection. Of course, he dropped the bone and lost the bone. This would be the trouble which encounters us, encounters us in our own practice of spiritual gifts. A lot of times when we look at other churches and say, well, we want that, we want this, we want that. But what God is saying is this. As long as, as long as you are doing the work of, of building the body of Christ, as long as your words are clear, as long as that the words are helping another person grow in the Lord, encouraging another person to follow Jesus, you are actually accomplishing the end goal of any other miraculous spiritual gifts that could be happening in the world today or in the past. Because what God wants the church to do is to grow in knowledge and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says this, we're to grow in the grace 
and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So let us not get sidetracked. Let us not get distracted. Let us practice the gift, whatever gift that God's given to us for his glory. But at the same time, make sure that it is going to edify the body of Christ for the glory of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful, God, for this passage. And as we study this passage, we realize that this passage must speak for itself. And I pray that we have done this this morning, allow the passage to speak for itself. Uh, we do not add our own words. We do not add our own opinions. We do not add our own experiences. That is not our point. We do not even add our own, uh, uh, just our, our good or bad experiences with the gift of tongues. What we're saying is that we're saying this is what God says, and therefore we're to follow it. We pray that this way edify the church of God and let us be the body of Christ we want us to be. Again, we desire for the church to be edified. And let our gifts, whatever gifts may be, administration or, or, or teaching or exhortation or leadership, or whatever gifts that they may be, Lord, in the body of Christ, may it serve to edify one another and bring one another to you. May, I, may we have that focus, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <laughs>